we really need to fall in love with the problem and have that be our focus and be willing at any time along our, the path that we're developing a solution to recognize, oh, our solution stinks. We're going down the wrong path. I love the problem we're trying to solve. Let's get back to that. Hi, I'm Richard Ralston. Welcome to Focus on Progress, the podcast for you, the online business owner who wants to see more progress in your business, in your life, and in the lives of those you lead. In this podcast, you'll hear stories from people who are doing amazing and interesting things. And you'll also hear that their journey has not necessarily been straightforward and easy. They've often had to face difficult things and figure out how to overcome them. We'll uncover the thoughts, ideas, and actions that have enabled them to move forward and make progress despite the challenges. My guest today is Chad McAllister. Chad has a PhD in innovation and teaches innovation at a number of prominent US universities. He has worked across a number of different industries, from food to consumer products, and with companies like MasterCard, John Deere, FedEx, Microsoft, Visa, Time Inc., Motorola, and many, many others. It's pretty fair to say that when it comes to creating new products and services, it's worth listening to what Chad has to say. Our conversation was so fascinating. You'll discover what innovation is and the distinction between innovating and inventing, what an MPV is and why it's so important to build one if you are intending to take your idea to market. And I think you'll find Chad's explanation and redefinition of what an MPV is really interesting. We talked a little bit about the idea that if you have to educate your customers on the value of your new product or service, you are probably a little bit too early to the market. And we talked about Chad's encounter with imposter syndrome. And he shares with us two simple exercises that he found has really helped him work through it. This episode is worth listening to just to learn about those two exercises. So if you have an idea that you think will make someone's life better and you would like to get it out into the world, then you're going to love the wisdom that Chad shares with us now. Hi, Chad. Welcome to the Focus on Progress podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Richard. So, um, Chad, you are you work in the innovation space. You're an innovator, and I understand you train people in the area of innovation. Is that correct? That is true. So I train individuals. Uh, typically, we call them product managers, the people I work with. They're the ones inside organizations that help create new products for customers, um, and then do the same for organizations and help their product teams and their product managers, and at times executives and others involved too, uh, creating the new products for customers, new products and services, and that that is all about innovation. Right. So, what's that sort of process? I mean, and, and is innovation important? Should we all be innovating, or doesn't just somebody come up with an idea and go, "Hey, here's a great product," and they just sell it, make it, and sell it? Is, that's how it works, right? There's certainly elements in there that are innovation, right? Coming up with an idea, making it, selling it, uh, that kind of assumes that someone cares about the thing you're making and selling. So that means we're adding value. And that's the core aspect when we think of innovation is that we're creating something new, something that doesn't exist before, that adds value to a customer. Um, And the customer part is important. Sometimes we think of invention uh, when people say innovation, and you certainly are inventing, you're creating something new. But innovation involves this extra aspect of, well, it's something valuable to a customer that they're willing to exchange some value for, uh, which usually means they're willing to pay for it. But there's other kinds of value too. 
Right. It's always good when your customer will actually pay for a product, right? We, we appreciate that, especially if we're in business and we want to keep food on the table. Yes. And a, and a roof over our head. Absolutely. Right. So what are the sort of products and services that you've been involved in helping people develop or innovate? It's actually a great question because they're if I was going to create a business, right, and, and my normal uh, guidance to others would be to say, focus on a niche, right? Focus on a clear market that you can really learn and appreciate and understand the problems more deeply, and then expand from that. Um, so my background is electrical engineering. Uh, I've done a lot of software development, software products, and it would make sense for me to focus then on maybe technology sort of products that um, have to do with uh, a hardware software element. And indeed, I have done that, um, but violating some of my own traditional uh, wisdom here, um, the processes of innovation, how do we go about uncovering a unmet need that customers have, a problem that they want to solve, a task or objective that they want to achieve, and then create a solution for that in a way that generates enormous value for them so that they're willing to pay for a solution. Well, that process is pretty much the same across industries. And so I've had the uh, great blessing of being able to work in all kinds of industries from uh, food products to consumer products like toothpaste to building products to uh, large SaaS type applications that we use, insurance companies, banking, you know, all kinds of products and services uh, because indeed that process of innovation is uh, essentially the same across industries. Right. So what, what are the key elements then of innovating? Yeah, um, and this works at a large scale, right? So if, if you're working with a Microsoft or uh, Amazon, and it works for the uh, solopreneur, the entrepreneur that, that's you know trying to generate value, the, the the starts in the very beginning with that idea, with some insight, and this might be a personal insight you have. Um, a lot a lot of products do get started from some personal frustration that we encounter, right? right. And, and maybe it's our, it's our own problem we're trying to solve for. Or we interact with the problem, like when my kids, they're, they're much older now, but when they were babies, we had this um, assortment of sippy cups. You know, so in the cabinet, yeah. there were all kinds of sippy cups. And the reason why there were all kinds of sippy cups, because we were on a bit of a mission to find a better sippy cup, right? Which is one that doesn't leak, one that actually is relatively easy to clean and, you know, holds up like in the dishwasher. Uh, and I, I couldn't find a sippy cup like that. It became a frustration. And instead of inventing one and, and uh, turning and uh, being the innovator selling it, you know, the, the kids get older and you, you grow out of that need. But um, it's a good example. Sometimes we just are scratching our own itch, right? Trying to identify um, something that we're using now that we think could be better. And it's important to think about that problem we're solving. It doesn't have to be this new to the world thing that no one has ever seen before. Uh, there are products like that. There are innovations like that. Hmm. But often it's a product where we have some frustration with the existing standard and we think we can make it better. Um, so we're scratching our own itch. The other approach is to understand the needs of a customer that has some unmet need, right? The, um, something, as I mentioned before, that they would like to uh, achieve a problem that they need solved uh, something they're doing that seems to be taking too long for them or is too cumbersome or is inconvenient. And if you recognize that there's a group of people, a group of customers that have a problem and you believe that you can find a solution to that, then you're on, on a good path to creating a product that hopefully creates value for those customers. 
Right. So I hear you talking about kind of two categories. One is, uh, well, actually, I was reading a little bit about this in a book the other day, what I would call the what if uh, category. And that's like, what if this sippy cup rolled over and didn't leak? Or, or what if what if we could throw the sippy cup around anywhere and it wouldn't break and it could go through the dish? Well, what if? So that's, that's one ca- category. And the other category, you're talking about um, a customer who has a challenge and an unmet need and you're building something to meet their need. So it's almost like there are two sides to this. There's one, I, I, there's something that I want to make better in my life. So mm-hmm. I kind of solve that problem. And then I see a challenge or a problem that somebody else has and I go, hey, I think I could do something that would make this better in your life. And it seems that the whole focus around this is trying to make life better. That's a perfectly fine way to phrase it, right? The We're trying to overcome some shortcoming or we're trying to achieve something that we want or people want, right? And so in the beginning, you know, what, what is the innovation process? It, it starts with some kind of insight or idea or a recognition that, that there's a unmet need or something lacking here that we could provide. Um, and just one quick caution, when you are scratching your own itch, uh, and it is something you actually want to sell, right? You're not just inventing for your problem, but it's something that you want to innovate and, and sell to the market. You, you do want to do the work too to make sure that others have this problem as well and they appreciate your solution. And so there's some validation. And no matter where the idea comes from, there's certainly validation along the way to understand that the path that we're de- going down for a solution actually is something that customers care about or not. Yeah, I was... Uh... I was listening to a guy speak about this the other day and he was looking for a particular solution and and um, to a problem he has and he went on Google and he just couldn't find the solution. And um, he could do it manually, but it took him hours and hours and hours. Now, he happened to be a a computer programmer, so he hacked some um, code together on a weekend and pushed the button, pushed the go button, and it brought him back all this data, which is exactly what he wanted. And uh, he told somebody else about this and they went, wow, this is like really cool. And then away it went. Um, And they started off as, you know, with what we'd call a minimum viable product, uh, which is, uh, well, you tell us, what what is a minimum viable product and why should we start there when we're innovating? Sure. So this got popularized by uh, Eric Ries when he wrote about lean startup uh, methodologies. Um, the guy that started that, that taught Eric Reese these concepts was Steve Blank, a uh, serial entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And Steve Blank's, uh, uh, one of his famous quotes is, you know, get out of the office, get out of your cubicle, get out into the real world and experience the people having the problem that you're trying to create the solution for, right? And so we, we need to be encountering them. And along the way, uh, we, we should be doing some kinds of experiments with them where we're testing our assumptions and seeing if, if we have the proper understanding of the problem and if the solution that we are going down the path thinking about uh, is one that they are, are actually interested in or not and they're willing to pay for on, on top of all that. So we, we construct some experiments along the way to help us understand if our assumptions are right. They never will all be. <laughs> so hopefully we're learning in that process and the MVP, uh, the, the, it's called the minimum viable product. I tend to think of it myself as the minimum valuable product. It, it's the minimum set of features that you could put into a, a prospective customer's hands where they would say, oh, 
this actually does offer me value, that this helps solve a good part of my problem. Um, it, it's something that they would recognize as something that they would want. And the purpose of the MVP is that we uh, are learning, indeed, is the solution that we intend to fully develop the right one for our customers or not. So it's very much meant to be a learning tool. Um, I tend to think of it as not an actual product, even though it's called an MVP. It, it is more of a learning experiment. Uh, but it's became, especially in the software world where a lean startup really got its first start, um, it, it was often thought about as the first version of the product that you release. Um, I don't strictly see it that way. It, it's a learning tool. It's, you know, are we creating the right, right product to solve the customer's problem? The whole area is really fascinating. And um, as you, you know, you and I have talked a little bit that I'm in the middle of a uh, software development project at the moment as well. Uh, Very exciting. Which, yeah, it's really, really exciting. And uh, hopefully that'll, hopefully that'll um, come out to the world in the next uh, couple of months. And we've, we've been through the same process where we were doing this thing manually. And we thought, wow, what if we could actually automate this and simplify it and make it so much easier? And I think we've done that. Uh, we're, we're coming towards the end of the project now, which is really exciting. But one of the things that I've really struggled with is that as I, as I look at the minimum valuable product or the minimum viable product, um, I keep wanting to add things to it. I go, oh, we could do this and we could do this. And if we just added this and, you know, I actually showed it to my son-in-law the other day and he went, oh, that's cool. Hey, on this page, you could put that and you could have these numbers. And, and I'm going, whoa, slow down. That's like version three or five or 10 or something like that. And I, I mean, part of that was really exciting because he could see the potential of what it could do. And he was all, already seeing how it could mm -hmm. be valuable to him. And, and he's not even... Um, He's not even my kind of ideal customer here. But it was very, it'd be very, very tempting to just keep adding and adding and adding. What, what do you say to people when you're working with them and they just want to keep adding to this thing? Yeah, and, and let's go back just a, a step and contrast that with what you could have done, right? So you, you have done this manually before, the, 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 this, this, what the system process. does now. So, yeah. so there's this process in place that you've used. Um, and others are aware of it that you've helped with before. And, you're, yeah. and you could have sat down and said, okay, I'm going to automate what I do and create a team of developers, right, and get that done. And you could have shown it to maybe a small group of people, uh, maybe we call them beta users, and they would use it some and you would get feedback. And, you know, maybe two years later, you would have this amazing product that solves your, your problem and you th it does a great job of this. And you go to release it to people who should have the need. And only to find out that your perceptions of what you thought everything needed to do and how it needed to work and how people could interact with this really kind of tailored, tailored to the way that you think about the problem. And your per prospective customers at this point don't really see it that way. Right. You know, that, 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 that's when, when we, we have that wake up call and we start crying because we realize that we wasted two years of our life going down this path. Right? Yeah, and we just sold the farm it, to it's fund terrible, it. Right. <laughs> and indeed, that is, that, that is off, has been the traditional approach for, for a long, long time about how products get created. And in the past, there was, and this, this still happens, but very much a notion that you need to be super secretive about your idea, right? And not let anyone know until it's ready to be released to the world and, and hold it tight. 
um, well, lean startup and, and other notions like that, and, we'll, and the purpose of MV, MVP is to help us much earlier recognize that we might be going down the wrong path. Um, and right. they're meant to help us stay much closer to our actual customer so that as we're developing, we can we have more confidence that we're developing the right solution and getting it to into their hands faster. Mm. And the idea is, uh, there, there's a great quote by um, the, now I'm drawing the blank on his name, the uh, founder of LinkedIn, and it will come to me later, but uh, who, who basically the, the quote is the sense of, if you're not embarrassed by the first release of your product, um, you, you, you did something wrong, right? You should be getting your product into customers' hands as quickly as you possibly can so you can get that very valuable feedback from them so that you can learn what do they like and what is still lacking. And so as far as how much, a good rule of thumb is come up with what you believe is a minimum amount of, of functionality, that what, what would create value for a customer, and be really ruthless about what that is, and then cut that in half. And, and that's a good starting point for an MVP. Uh, the, the, the should be just the very basics. And and you can fake a lot of that, right? A lot of MVPs are completely faked in the sense of maybe you're interacting with a form on a website and it, it looks like it's collecting information for you and submitting that off to the service. Um, there's one that was done for uh, uh, ordering social security cards once upon a time. And what was happening behind the scenes was when you went to that website, there, there was the uh, very nice person that was taking the information that, uh, that you put into the website in real time and typing it into the government site and filling the information that needed to be done and saving you some of the hassles of that, right? Um, and that was an MVP that I think sold for $1.7 million. Wow. It um, was never actually developed as a, as a working product. But another company wanted that concept, and and they already had some branding going, and so that so, was great. <laughs> so they were just really, really testing whether the front end was going to make this exactly, whole thing right? um, much more convenient for the consumer. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. This is all about learning what the customer actually considers valuable that they're willing to pay for. And and I think that is a key point here, and the one that, that's the key point I've had to continually remind myself that it is all about the learning and we learn by running little experiments right and so we just and in run time these... you know your, your friend or brother-in-law or whoever it was you know that, that said you know here, here's some other things that would be great that this could do too you know obviously we are evolving this over time but we want to get it into customers hands as quickly as possible ideally start generating revenue as quickly as possible so we can have funding for further developments and in time, we will build this thing that we might call the whole product solution, um, which is it's not just the minimal amount of valuable solution, you know, product now, but the whole product solution really does address the the other elements that need to get done. Really consider this a uh, product that can hold its own against competitors and continue to satisfy customers. Yeah, well, I, I certainly have written down his ideas because there were a number of them that were really smart. And I thought I hadn't thought about that. That would actually be super easy to implement and really add some value right in, that people can see yeah. instantly. I thought that was kind of a really a really cool idea. Uh, you're at the stage now in your career that you're teaching at universities and you're writing master's programs and you're doing all that sort of thing and working with some major companies uh, around the world. But how on earth did you get into this? Were you just born an innovator? 
I mean, do you have a memory of the first time that you like created something or built something or I don't know, do you have a sewing machine story? You know, maybe not all of us, but many of us, you know, took apart our mum's sewing machine and, you know, put it back together. But there were a few parts that uh, were still in the box that didn't kind of get put back in the machine. Yeah, exactly. My, my, I do have a cr- a creating story, but my, my first memories are not of creating something; it's of destroying things, right? So it's creative destruction. And um, I had an affinity for anything I could find in the kitchen, uh, much to my mom's discomfort, because I I would take things apart, you know, including the toaster and you know anything I could get my hands on, um, and generally not put them back together, which is the part that I think aggravated my mom more as she couldn't understand why I insisted on taking things apart. And I remember when I was a young kid, uh, one of the best Christmas gifts I got, I think it was for Christmas, might have been my birthday, was our old dishwashing machine. Uh, Because my parents got a new dishwasher for the kitchen, and I got the old one to take apart, which was just, it was perfect. It was great fun. So um, there was a, a time that was more of a constructive <laughs> uh, instance, and uh, again, single digits in my youth, uh, maybe, I don't know, nine or ten maybe, and the neighbor across the street was an electrical engineer, and uh, he taught me how to solder, and uh, we did that then uh, building a Radio Shack kit. So. Uh, Radio Shack, I understand, is a brand that's coming back, but you used to be able oh, to go to really? Radio Shack stores. I, yeah. I remember, I remember that, and I built little crystal radios with my grandfather right. as well, and he taught me to solder. Yeah, exactly, and and you could go there and you could buy discrete parts if you needed, you know, such things, transistors and resistors and yeah. motors and like, or a kit. And so I I had bought a, um, or someone had bought for me a Radio Shack kit kit that was a metal detector, huh. and. A friend across the street uh, taught me how to recognize the parts and put that together and follow instructions. And I just thought it was amazing that you could take this handful of little pieces of metal and you know plastic and like they look like and put them together and solder them properly. And then you had this thing that you could detect metal when you put it over metal. And like that was just, uh, that was an amazing thing. So I, at least had some early experiences that probably led me down this product path, right? Uh, being curious how things worked. I'll, I'll wrap the story up here by saying that the, I ended up doing electrical engineering myself and enjoyed making things. But I quickly found out making things themselves just isn't the way God wired me as much as uh, seeing how people could find value in the things that we made, right? So that, that drew me more into the innovation part of this, the product part of this, of going back to, well, let, let's create something that actually produces value for customers. Yeah. So when you say you quickly found out that this wasn't the way God created you or the way you were wired, excuse the pun for an electrical engineer, <laughs> but uh, was, it, was there an event or did you just find building things just frustrating? What was the... What was going on uh, there for a, you? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, these are good things to reflect on. So, um, building things were solving interesting problems, and the problems seemed to get much more complicated when people entered the picture, um, because people have different preferences and expectations, and um, those were more challenging problems. And I think it was more rewarding to not just see something work, 
that we might think about, you know, solving a problem in a lab and, you know, you have a box that does the thing that's supposed to do, as opposed to seeing how it impacts a person and the problem they had or the objective they were trying to reach and how it, it creates value for them. So um, you became kind of- I tend to be rather relational. So I think I just get more of a charge out of seeing how others um, find some satisfaction themselves in products that work well. Okay, so uh, it sounds like you really enjoyed the interaction with the people and the product. It wasn't just you and the product, it was you and the people and the product mm. and that dynamic and and seeing the excitement or elation on their face when you created something that solved their problem or made their problem easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that's fascinating. And so then you went on and did electrical engineering and, and what level, because you, you stayed in the academic world as, as well as you know worked with uh, businesses, did you just do your undergraduate degree or what? How did you go from electrical engineer to doing what you're doing yeah, now? There's no master plan here at all. So I did electrical engineering, did a graduate degree in that because that helped propel my career in the company I was with. So there was a path where having a master's degree was helpful. So I did that. Um, and then I got fascinated with a uh, the problem, which is it, it is challenging to create products for customers that they actually love. And there were times when we would uh, apply a process and customers would be very happy. And there were times where it seemed like we applied the same process and customers were less happy. Mm. And uh, and again, the, the, this gets, you know, making something gets more complicated when people are involved, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we, we tend to be complex and all different and uh, more challenging. And I, I got fascinated about why was there that difference and what was going on with that. And I had no plans to ever return to school again, but um, one thing did lead to another, and that led me back to uh, work on a PhD, um, officially in organization and uh, management, because at the time there was not a PhD offered in innovation, but all my interests were in innovation. So for shorthand, I often say I have a PhD in innovation and then provide some of the background. Um, and that allowed me to study this problem more deeply and in general have a better appreciation for innovation processes and how we go about adding value through products and services. Yeah, wow. And I bet you meet some incredibly interesting people along the way. As we always do, I think, in life. But um, yeah, there, there are certainly people that uh, were kind to pour into my life through their experience and uh, and help, help me understand some things. That was great. Yeah. What do you do if you're working on a product and you're working through this process of innovation and you just can't get traction on it? The customer just doesn't seem to be happy with where you're going. What, what, what's going on there? So I think we need to do an assessment to try to understand what's going on with that. Right? So, um, so we need to be specific about what we're actually seeing. Right? It could very well be broad brush strokes here that we have a product that is actually correct and something that does create value um, and customers aren't able to find it or to discover it um, that we're not getting it out properly so we're not making customers aware of this so mm. um, you know you, you can't really build a better mousetrap and expect expect people to be a, a, you know you tore down wanting that they have to know about it and be aware of it um, it could be that we are solving a real problem but we did something very challenging, which we should have recognized up front, which would have given us pause if we actually wanted to go down this path or not. 
which is that this is a product that requires us to educate our customers on the use of it. And, uh, and anytime we have to educate our customers, we're probably a little bit too early to the market and that costs a whole lot more money to deal with than most people want to deal with. And it's better to wait until the market evolves. And so they recognize they have this problem and it will be much easier than to position the product in front of them. Um, it could very well be that we missed it, right? The, the, uh, we, we made a classic uh, mistake that is very easy for almost all of us and we fell in love with our solution. And um, I always caution uh, the companies I work with and when I'm teaching graduate students these concepts, we all have the same tendency and that's that uh, we hear about a problem or maybe we even don't even hear about a problem as much as we just see an opportunity for a solution. And we think this is the coolest, best solution and it's fantastic. And the more we work on it, the more we love it and the more it's our baby and we're so proud of this thing. And obviously we're not going to do anything to jeopardize our baby. Um, when in reality, in the beginning, we really need to fall in love with the problem and have that be our focus and be willing at any time along the path that we're developing a solution to recognize, oh, our solution stinks. We're going down the wrong path. I love the problem we're trying to solve. Let's get back to that. So it could very well be what you described is, you know, we, we actually just, we, we fell in love with our own solution and it's not really what people need, right? So we need to do some assessment to kind of see what is going on if we have a product that is not gaining traction. Yeah, yeah, that that's really good advice and, and uh, easy to take on board when you're sitting here listening to it and very, <laughs> very difficult to take on board when you suddenly realize that that's the advice you might need to apply right now, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I suspect many of us you know, listening have watched Shark Tank or in you know, other countries, Dragon Den or something. Um, and every now and then you see that episode where uh, Mr. Wonderful uh, it will be rather frank. I mean, some others do it too, but you know, so they, well, you just waste the last two years of li your life. This is a terrible idea. Move on and do something else. <laughs> and sometimes that's probably the right thing, right? It's like, okay, learn from what you did so you won't make that mistake again, but move on to something that people actually, to a different problem that people actually do want solved. Yeah, and it's a challenging, it's a really challenging thing because it, it brings up uh, the, the whole idea of the sunk cost fallacy. And right. it's not just sunk cost in terms of money, it's my energy, my emotion, my passion, and all of a sudden I've got to work, walk away from that. And, uh, and that can be a very, very tough thing to do. Yeah, and there's a reframing that has to happen there, right? Because it, that does become a part of a person's identity. That, you know, this thing I've worked so hard on is part of who I am. It's what I yeah. have told people for the last two years that I am all about. Um, and you need to reframe that. And just like we think of the MVP, this is all about learning. Wonderful. Make yourself a list of what have you learned from those experiences and how you can apply that maybe in life someplace else. Hmm. So most of us have gone through some challenges. I mean, I could I could make a funny joke about this. And I said, oh, most of us have just lived life. It's just been plain sailing and everything's come together. And it's, you know, it's been a it's been a Disneyland kind of adventure. And it's just been beautiful and wonderful. Uh, but that, that's not I, I want to live where you live, Richard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, 
But that's actually not true for most of us. And most of us do go through our ups and downs where we've, we've traveled along a path and at some point we have a crisis or we go, this isn't all I thought it was cracked up to be or this. Something happens that really makes us have to question what we're doing, where we're at, whether that's innovating a product uh, or, or just in, in the development of our own life and the growth of us as a, as a person. Have you had any sort of uh, experiences like that where you've really had to think about what you were doing, where you were going and why? Oh, I, I think there's good opportunities that life has presented me for that. Um, <laughs> the, you know, there, there's big events that happen, right, at times, and you really feel like you're shaken to your core and you need yeah. to think about things differently. Those happen for sure. Um, and and it's, it's valuable to, to pause and to think through challenges and maybe get someone to help you think through those as well. Um, and then there's other times that we, we just need to be reflective about you know, what is going on in our lives and what is actually important to us. And um, something I've been rethinking once again, uh, just trying to think a little bit more deeply, you know, what is our why? What is our purpose? And kind of what might be getting in the way or holding us back? Mm. And um, I, I have had, I don't know when this first, when I was first conscious of this, I'm sure this was an issue for me uh, for probably much of my life, uh, not just adult life, um, but uh, struggles with uh, imposter syndrome. And you know th really? this, this notion of that, you know, sooner or later, someone's going to find out that you don't really belong here. Like, you know, that, that, that college thing you did, that you, you got in on accident. You weren't really supposed to be there, right? Or um, wow. whatever it is, or, or one of the amazing companies that I get to help, right? I get to help some of the, I get to help all kinds of companies, but I've got to help some really big companies in the world. Um, which is just a great blessing, right? Uh, you know, mm. me getting to go in and help them think through innovation a little bit and how do you do a better job developing products for the customers. Um, and every now and then I have a feeling like, oh, you know, there, there's going to be another expert that shows up and sometimes just says, what are you talking about? You got this all wrong, right? Um, yeah. And I think a lot of us deal with, with some notion of imposter syndrome. And uh, that, that was something... I didn't have a crisis moment, but there were just a few things that led together to help me consider consider that a little bit more deeply, right? It was getting in my way to be effective helping others. Yeah, so so what did you do? What did you do to work through that stuff? Because I think we all face, we all face imposter syndrome every now and again. And I like to reframe imposter syndrome and say, actually, it's a good thing. It means we're out there on the cutting edge. We're pushing the edge of our comfort zone. That's why we feel like an imposter. We're not sitting here just, you know, in our own little office with all our nice computers and screens and comfy chairs and coffee machine. We're out there in the trenches. We're on that cutting edge. And and it's it may well not be where we belong, but if we stay there long enough and get comfortable with that and learn the skills and things about being out there, then actually we will belong. But how how does somebody work? How does somebody work through that process of being prepared to get out of their comfort zone, get onto that cutting edge, and figure out how to be comfortable with being the imposter at the beginning? And then over time become, you know, one of the family, really. 
Right. What, yeah. What? I, I liked how you framed that because uh, certainly there's people in your audience listening now that are indeed helping others, right? And because they're helping others, they, they are in a sense, uh, they're innovating, right? They're, they're doing something new. They're putting together their experience, yeah. their systems, their models and frameworks, um, and they're helping others. And um, no, no doubt being on the edge, also at times maybe struggling with this imposter syndrome thing. So the thing I did was, um, it was just a great blessing because it happened without any purpose uh, for me going down this path. I had conversations with others at time, including my dissertation um, advisor who uh, uh, also, you know, uh, mentioned imposter syndrome and things that he had worked with before. And, and so this was, I was getting more comfortable that, oh, I wasn't the only one that deals with this. A lot of people deal with imposter yeah. syndrome. And I stumbled into this marketing program, which was to use a social media platform to uh, find customers. And mm -hmm. it was the, uh, still today, it's the highest priced program I've paid for to, to you know, do something wow. like that. Uh, to just learn more as a, you know, a business owner about how to reach customers. And we would meet once a week and have a live discussion. And then of course there were all the training and tools to go through and everything like that. Mm. It was a good program. Um, but then they added just shortly after I started, they, they added this new weekly meeting, which was a mindset meeting. And they said, you know, in talking with the people who have joined the program, um, all of our entrepreneurs are struggling with some mindset issues. So we're going to start having this mindset coach meeting. And we have an extra person to come in and, and do mindset sessions with you. And I'm like, what, what? I don't even know what we really mean by mindset. And it, frankly, to my engineering mind, sounded very woo-woo-ish right. um, and a waste of time. But I was paying a lot of money for this program. So I said, okay, I will go twice evaluate the value of, of, of these sessions, and then I'll stop, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had already determined I was gonna stop, but I felt like I, that was a good justification for me to uh, make sure I was getting the value out of the program that I had paid so much for. Um, and so I went to the first meeting and, uh, okay, a little woo-woo-ish, but there was something here. And I went to the second one and it was just, it was spot on helping all of us entrepreneurs think huh. about, um, probably the simplest way to put it is to think about things that we tell ourselves that aren't serving us well. Things that we tell mm. ourselves that are getting in our own way. And I found, even though I joined this program for marketing help, this became what I remember and what produced value for me was Interesting. these weekly mindset discussions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the very ones you were going to avoid. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so what, what were your takeaways out of that? What, what, um, yeah, what did you get out of that yeah, specifically? Sure. There, um, it was useful in a group of entrepreneurs. I think there's great value in getting together a, a small group of people that you're just working with, you know, kind of sharing what you're working with, right? Hearing what they're mm. working with. And um, you learn a lot from each other. And in some sense, you find out you're not alone and that your struggles are, are other struggles too. But I really like that peer coaching um, enormously, right? That hour a week was something I really look forward to. But there were a, a few key exercises that we did along the way, which I found enormously helpful. Um, the first one was called, uh, uh, or what I call it, uh, uh, re, you're reframing 50. And it was um, write a list of 50 statements 
that you tell yourself that you recognize aren't true or aren't representative of what you want to be true, um, and then reframe them into truths for yourself. Hmm. And some people call these affirmations. And when I first heard of affirmations, um, I'm old enough to remember a Saturday Night Live skit with a character who I think was called Gary Smalley. And he would stand in front of the mirror and, and say something like, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, or something like that, right? Yeah. And so when people say affirmations, that's the thing that pops into my head, like, this is just a silly waste of time. Um, and, and, and talking about this in terms of affirmations kind of left me with the same feeling, like, this is going to be a waste of time. But once again, I'm paying a lot of money, and so let, let, let's work through the exercise and I'll actually try it. And so I sat down one morning and I started writing um, statements of things that I felt like I believe, but were not necessarily true. Um, like uh, easy one, um, time is money. I, I, I equate hours worked with money earned. And um, there's probably different reasons why I do that, but, but that's a, a simple thing that is in my head. And I recognize it doesn't have to be that way, mm. right? And so that might be a belief that I tell myself now that I, I think isn't serving myself well, because if time is money, then I'm really limited, um, not just in terms of how much money I can make, but in terms of how, how many people I can serve, right? So, yeah. um, so th that would be the limiting belief and then to come up with a reframing statement of um, how I would like to think about that instead, right? And um, I don't have in front of me to tell you how I reframe that offhand, but it might be something like um, I, I put my I put my attention uh, to best use where it is needed, and I will be rewarded um, in tremendous ways for doing so. Right? Um, whatever came to my mind in terms of kind of reframing that into something that would serve me better. Mm. So um, another one was. You know, uh, at that time, there was certainly some hesitation about the systems I was actually providing people and how I was helping them. So <clears throat> a limited belief might be my systems won't work, right? So it's like, yeah, you know, I spent a lot of time developing this product, but it's not really going to work for people. At the same time, I say that out loud, you know, I it, and even when I started this program, I have customers telling me how valuable this is to them, right? So a much I, I better... hear you. I, I, I really, I acknowledge that one. I Isn't feel that, that silly? One. But, I, but I, these are things we do. We tell ourselves these things that aren't serving us well. And so reframing that to just remind myself of that, like customers have used this, have used my system and found tremendous value in it and have told me so. Gosh, that's a good thing to remind myself when that thought comes into my head. You know, that, that stuff you're doing, Chad, is just a waste of time. That's not going to help anyone. Yeah. And, but it and has. It, and it has. And it's like you, you talked just before about the value of getting together once a week for an hour with a group of other uh, entrepreneurs, in, in your yeah, case. Trying to make who, progress with them. You know, and, and that's exactly what uh, I've designed in the Progress Pod uh, method. Mm -hmm you know, the, the Progress Pod Accountability Group method and what we've done with the Next Tiny Step method. And I'm continually saying to myself, oh my goodness, this is a bit of a confession here. I guess I can always edit this out. But um, <laughs> that's the great thing about audio. Uh, but I'm continually 
almost bemused by why does this work? Why would anybody want this? It's so simple. What 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 the what's going on here? And yet time and time well, you've just said how valuable those small groups were for you. Um in, in the situation you were in that marketing course. And I have many, many people every, every other day coming back to me and telling me about how powerful this has been for them and the progress they've made as a result. Right. And I'm thinking, how on earth am I actually going to get that inside my head and my heart and actually believe it? I, you know, so, so I, I hear you. Some of these things, they, some of these beliefs we have run deep and they're just mm-hmm. not true. The evidence yeah. is not there to support them. In fact, the evidence is there to say that what you are doing is actually providing huge value and huge benefit for people. Right. Right. So, that, so that's, this was a very helpful exercise, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's your, your reframe re- 50. Your reframe and, 50. And, you know, 50 sounds like a big, big list. It, it, once you start writing it down, I think it comes... You know, for me, it came pretty quickly, you know, write down the 50 things that you believe are limiting you right now, the thoughts that you have that aren't serving you well. Um, And then for each one, reframe it into either reflect what is true right now, or write a statement about what you want to be true in the future. Right? So like an example, one of my limiting beliefs is I'm overweight, and I always will be, right? And and as we're talking right now, I'm overweight. (laughs) And, um, but I, I don't always want to be, you know, right. I wasn't in the past, no reason I have to be in the future. And so reframing that as, you know, I'm, I'm someone that enjoys exercising and eats properly and, and likes to be healthy. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they are, their identity, identity shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, you're actually reminding... All of us tell us things that are limiting us in some way and we need to stop that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the that's the reframe fifty. You said you had a second one. What oh, was the second? Yeah, oh, there's another one I love, um, and this is the customer one hundred. And so one day in, in these meetings, I did share a limiting belief, and I said something like, "Well, I just I don't know if customers are really going to want my system, want my solution, or not." Right? Even though I had evidence at this point that that wasn't yeah. true, I yeah. still said that. Right? And immediately the mindset coach said, "Chad." You need to write down a list of 100 reasons why customers buy your product. 100 reasons? Wow, that's a lot. Okay. But once again, because I'm paying a lot of money for this, I'm going to do what I'm told and try this stuff, right? Um, that was my simple motivation. And so I sat down one morning for a couple hours and um, started writing a list of 100 reasons why customers buy my product. And that was so incredibly motivating. Wow. And Every time I think about this, I realize I haven't done this yet. I, I, I did. I selected the top twenty that were the most motivating to me, and I intend to get a poster to put up in my office to have them on the wall. Um, but it it was confidence building to remember specific evidence of customers do buy my solution and customers do find value in it, and I just found that to be a really good exercise. And both of these are things that you can record and turn into audio and you know, listen to each day. That's part of the reason, right? You mentioned your progress pods before and, and think about, well, this, is, this thing that I do is so simple. And even I, we know each other because I was in a progress pod that yeah, you yeah, led. That's how we first I, met. And I found tremendous value in that. 
And I might look at that from the outside and go, you know, overall, the system is pretty simple. That doesn't mean I do it, right? It's the accountability of being with others and the expectation that we're making progress together and I'm going to have to share what progress I'm making and how that happened that causes me to actually make progress, right? That's um, true. So good. And some of us just need that so reminder. Good. We do. And, so yeah. and, and I recorded these in audio format and put them on my phone and listen. For a while, I listened to them every single morning. Um, and I listen to them every now and then. And they're, they're good reminders for me when I need to, mm. a little mindset boost. Mm. That's fantastic. Hey, thanks thanks for sharing those uh, those two tools with us. Really appreciate it. So, Chad, what are you working on now? What's firing you up? What are you getting passionate about right now? So I love serving customers, and uh, whether those are individual product managers or companies. Uh, but I really love seeing companies uh, make some transformation about how they're how they're serving their customers, right? Mm. And and how we can work better together to create new value. And at, we're we're going through a time where organizations are rapidly changing, right? There's been this max exodus of employees who are leaving companies because they're not finding satisfaction. Uh, they're going into the gig market, doing their own work, doing something else. And companies are going to be reframing some, but um, even before this started, my motivation was to try to work with teams to help them recognize the value that they provide themselves to the organization, right? The, the, this is a big deal. You're creating better products, new products for the organization, right? You're generating revenue, um, which can be significant, right, mm. <laughs> uh, for the organization. And you're also creating value for a customer, right, and doing something that puts a smile on the customer's face. and. Hopefully you're doing this with a team that uh, you enjoy working with and you're excited to get out of bed in the morning and contribute to these things. Um, so I have the system in place to teach people how to do a better job being innovators and how to create products customers love um, and to do it in a way where they're getting more value with each other. So I'm starting to think a little bit more deeply about how, how do we do that in the context so there is more satisfaction in our work as well. Hmm. And so is that, uh, are you providing that in the context of a course at the moment or people consult with you directly? Yeah, for uh, individuals, it's a course, an online self-study course. For companies, it's an, I, I call it an experience, uh, specifically the RPM experience, Rapid Product Mastery Experience, uh, where we get together uh, once a week for 35 minutes and go through nine sessions together. And there's some pre-training first that everyone does in the group but then we're applying the concepts that we need to be working on and sharing our own experiences with each other and building some trust and collaboration while we're learning the concepts we need as well. Right, oh, that sounds really interesting. Chad, this has been great to chat with you today about innovation and about some of the stories of your life that have led you to where you are and, and some of the challenges you've had and, uh, and the two tools that you've shared with us, the Reframing 50 and the Customer 100. They are fantastic ideas. Appreciate that. Hey, where can people uh, get in contact with you if they'd like to? The best place is my website for just finding more information. And you can contact me there too. That's productmasterynow.com. And I also have a weekly podcast called Product Mastery Now, where we talk about innovation topics. And it's an interview format with people that are thought leaders in the space. And of course, LinkedIn is a good place to connect as well. Great. Well, we'll, um, we'll connect up those links for everybody in the show notes below. So just, just as we finish, Chad, 
with everything we've talked about, what is kind of the one idea that you'd like to leave us with? No pressure there. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll go back to this imposter syndrome because I, I think it's typical of entrepreneurs as we're trying to serve others to have some self-doubt along the way. Hmm. And stopping and recognizing the things that we tell ourselves that aren't serving ourselves well is really important. You know, too many of us walk around every day saying things that are flat out lies to ourselves. And at times saying things to ourselves that we would never dare say to a friend because they would be too offensive and too brutal and too harsh. And yet we do that to ourselves. And we need to recognize that we're not being loving to ourselves. We're certainly not reflecting the truth. And those simple exercises that we've talked about before are good ways to, to stop and to go, oh, gosh, the, I, I have evidence. The things I'm telling myself aren't at times are not serving myself at all well. And I have evidence that the contrary is actually true. So we should do that more often. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Richard. Wow, that was so interesting. Imagine getting a broken dishwasher for your birthday and it being one of your most favorite presents. I particularly loved the two imposter syndrome busting exercises that Chad shared with us. The first one of these was called your reframing 50. You write down 50 statements that you tell yourself that you recognize aren't true or aren't representative of what you want to be true. And then you reframe them into truths for you. The second one was the customer 100. For this exercise, you write down 100 reasons why your customers buy your product and or love to work with you. I hope you found this episode helpful. If you have, I'd love you to send me a message. You can do that by clicking the Video Ask link in the show notes below. Video Ask is a cool app where you can leave me a message. I'd especially like to know your thoughts on this episode, but feel free to share whatever you'd like to. I'm always up for a chat. And if you enter your email address, I'll message you right back. So click the link in the show notes below and leave me a message. Check it out, it's fun. I look forward to hearing from you. As I'm sure you've realized, I'm passionate about helping people make progress. One of the ways I do this is through helping membership owners and course creators set up progress pod accountability groups that use the next tiny step method. And we're about to launch the progresspod.io software platform that eliminates the frustrating time-sucking admin and makes setting up accountability groups really simple. If you would like to find out more about our Progress Pod Accountability Group system and how it can help your people make more progress faster and increase your membership retention, go to richardrelston.com. There's a link in the show notes. And if you've heard something in this episode that you thought was interesting, helpful, or valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take the next tiny step and head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. You might also like to share this podcast with a friend. And please remember to hit the subscribe button Until next time, remember to use the next tiny step method to help you focus on progress because it's your tiny steps taken consistently over time that will enable you to produce massive results.